Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to In the Open. Today, we have a guest, um, Kat, who is new to MHA's team. And we're going to talk about, am I bipolar or am I depressed? So, Kat, do you want to just give us like a brief intro about like who you are? Sure. So I am Kat McIntosh. As Teresa said, I recently became the manager for global peer support at Mental Health America, started at the end of September, and uh, I am diagnosed with bipolar disorder one and I'm also Caribbean and black Caribbean and I live in Trinidad and Tobago um I think we should just dive right in like start starting with just telling me that story of what that was like for you when you were struggling with the question of do I have bipolar disorder or am I depressed like what was that experience like yeah so that that journey was very long. I started experiencing symptoms when I was about 16. And I very much had those questions of what in the world is going on with me? Um, What the hell is going on with me, really? Um, Because I was experiencing just a lot of intense emotions. um, And the intense emotions wasn't just sadness all of the time. It was sometimes anger, sometimes extreme irritability. Um, But I I think I recognized two major things about the emotions that I was having, which was one, so often the emotions didn't match the situation. So I knew in my head that I was getting really, really upset over situations that somewhere in the back of my mind you know, I was telling myself, okay, calm down. It really isn't such a big deal, which leads to my second thing that I noticed that it almost felt like a disconnect between my mind and my body and my mind doing one thing and my body doing another thing. And, you know, the two didn't seem to to correlate. But like I said before, it wasn't just sadness, you know, it it wasn't just, you know, I feel hopeless um, or I feel uh, suicidal, which definitely existed. Those thoughts and those ideas were definitely there. But it was also, I'm really angry at this thing and I don't even know what the heck I'm angry at, but I'm angry or I'm really just agitated and irritable in my skin. Um, and I almost told people that like, Sometimes I felt it almost on my skin. Like I I felt like all these emotions just seeping out of me and I didn't know where it was coming from. I didn't know what to do with it. So for me, because I'm very education inclined and I like to understand things that I don't understand, I did a lot of Google searches. Sometimes my Google search might just mean putting in the symptoms um, that I was having. So irritability, um, suicidal thoughts, um, hopelessness, anger, and like trying to figure out, trying for Google to help me figure out what was happening. And yeah, when my Google searches definitely pointed me in direction of bipolar disorder. And it, it also happened that around that same time, 
I had this conversation with a family member um, and it was a very accidental conversation where they mentioned that they themselves got a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. And when they mentioned that, you know, I asked some curious questions and I found out that they weren't the first person in my family who was diagnosed um, with it. And it's then pieces kind of started like fitting in together where it's like, okay, there's an explanation for what I was experiencing. I tried to get a diagnosis with Trinidad Tobago's mental health professionals, had some pretty bad experiences um, of being labeled borderline personality disorder and the mental health professional telling me, um, you have borderline personality disorder and there's nothing I can do to help you. Wow. I'm feeling very hopeless um, after they said that because I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, and it took me a couple years after that experience because it was so horrible for me. It took me, I think, about three to four years before I even tried to go back and get a diagnosis. Um, but when I did go back, um, I was able to go to a private um, counselor who specialized in mood disorders. And she doing um, all the tests and everything with me. And she's like, oh, you definitely have bipolar disorder one. Um, and her even saying like, you know, I think because of how educated you are and because you like, really try to to seek information for yourself that's probably the reason why you've been able to thrive as long as you have because my symptoms were pretty bad um i was experiencing i was hearing voices um as as the years went by from 16 to when i actually got my diagnosis at 28 the symptoms increased so hearing voices started to happen seeing shadows um started happening i started getting like chronic pain so when i was in a depressed episode my it would feel like if my bones are hitting um and i was experiencing so many things i really couldn't talk about with anyone um so when she diagnosed me bipolar disorder and she kind of brought an explanation to what i was experiencing it felt like breakthrough <laughs> it, it felt like um it, it was a very fundamental moment in my experience to have an answer um and from there i was able to actually finally um, get medication and once from there my recovery journey really was able to happen that I was able to now put extra steps into my self-care and seeing a therapist and all these things. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that journey. It There are so many things that you said that were I feel like are really typical of our system like misdiagnosis, people dismissing you, telling you you have other problems and then telling you you're you should just lay down and forget life, you know? Can you share just more detail about some of those pain points and just like what happened, you know? I think for persons who have mental health conditions, there's so many obstacles um, to this journey, right? Because you can't talk about it with your family or your friends and like you have no idea where to turn. I remember not being able to talk about it with any of my family members besides that one conversation. And so I was experiencing Mm -hmm. all these emotions, had nowhere to turn. None of my peers were talking about these things. None of them, you know, had these like weird experiences of seeing shadows. So couldn't talk about it there. And then when you reach out to 
mental health professionals that should be that that one point where you find help and you find hope that was really difficult for me from just the the way that our systems are set up um so i remembered it taking two months for me to even get an appointment to see the psychiatrist Mm -hmm. and uh, after I got the appointment, it was a month after that, that I had to wait for the appointment. So that's three months. I waited for an entire day because I remember showing up at the clinic about eight o'clock and I didn't see him until like half past one. So I'm waiting all day to see him. And he speaks to me for five minutes. I'm, I'm not even exaggerating about that. He speaks to me for five minutes and he says, oh, you have borderline personality disorder and there's nothing I could do to help you. (laughs) Yeah. And it was it was devastating for me. It was absolutely devastating because this was supposed to be the moment that I got care, right? After waiting so long and trying to figure out, etc. This was supposed to be that moment for me where I was like, I got an answer. And the answer really was go because <laughs> there's nothing I can do no. to help you. No. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it was it was truly, truly difficult. But even when you talk about all the other systems, right? So when I actually got my diagnosis and I started like saying, Okay, I have mental I have bipolar disorder one, I have a mental health condition and I need help from our other systems. I remember so many people, including like supervisors who I knew respected me and respected my work, um, that would say, well, maybe you should just have an administrative job. Like maybe you should not have a manager job. You should not do all these other things because I'm, I'm, I, I guess I'm not capable of it <laughs> with a mental health condition. And it was just so many, so many misconceptions persons have about mental health conditions I think I realize that one you're not supposed to talk about these things two yeah if you do talk about these things then you're labeled in a certain box and yeah it, it was a very awful experience sometimes I mean can we just say like when you went to go see the per- the person who gave you the diagnosis of bipolar and felt good about it what what was let's co- compare and contrast the five minutes like three <laughs> appointments. What? Yeah. Uh, so she was amazing. I I I I love her to this day. I follow her and I refer people to her to this day. So she was she specialized in mood mood disorders. Unfortunately, and I think that's also one of the difference, at least for me in my culture between private and public systems so where I saw him he was in the public system and it was free and accessible but it was shit service I mean (laughs) really um but with her I had to pay I I thank god I had the money um and the funds to pay for that um and it was a course I I think that more reflected what I expected, where it was over a couple of sessions, who is sitting with me, who are chatting with me, who are doing like an entire history of, of my family history, of the things I've gone through, actually doing all the tests with me and doing, I think I did about six tests or something like that with her. And then arriving and saying, okay, this is what I think it is. These are the recommendations I have for you. These are the places that I think you should go and, you know, it, it was such a different process, but I'm I'm so grateful 
to her because I think she showed me that the mental health system can be different and Mm -hmm. she also gave me hope in myself (laughs) yeah (laughs) can we feel pretty confident about saying that if anybody meets you for five minutes and then gives you a diagnosis that that's probably not accurate (laughs) yeah yeah and it's 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 weird because I think that um I think that we we have this knowledge that someone meets you for five minutes and they tell you this and it's not accurate but you know I wonder about all the other people who would have believed him with his five Mm -hmm. minutes diagnosis Mm -hmm. thank god I knew better because of my education but that's not the case for a lot of folks yeah do you and I hear do you think that there's something special about bipolar disorder that makes it easy to misdiagnose this this specific illness I hear similar things with ADHD, right? Like, can you speak to that from your own learnings? Yeah, um, I, I mean, as far as I, I can understand about bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder and just the close relation between these symptoms, I think it is easy to look at some symptoms of bipolar disorder and especially if you have not done a proper analysis in terms of the person's history in terms of like their family in terms of like all the things that they experience and if you haven't done that full analysis I think it is easy to just look at a couple of symptoms and say okay let's let's pass it off to that even if I had borderline personality disorder Mm-hmm. To say there's nothing I can do to help you and to send you on your way, it's yeah. not the answer um, to anyone. Um, so, so sometimes to me, it didn't even matter what the diagnosis was, right? It would matter yeah. how the diagnosis was handled. Mm. It's an important point that you're saying that I think our system should just do better with giving people hope and, and questioning yeah. their bias around people yeah. with mental health problems. like. It's so problematic. But I really appreciate that you shared about hearing voices and seeing shadows because that's a common experience among people who have bipolar disorder. And people can see or hear voices when they're depressed, like severely depressed. You can also hear or see voices when you're in a manic state. So can you kind of like, how did you make sense of that when you were young? Um. So, or how did that look for you? Like, what does it occur for you only when you're sad? Does it happen when you're especially when you are manic? Like, yeah, cheer for our audience. For me, honestly, I don't experience a differentiation in terms of either mania or depressed voices. Just happen for me. I I tell people that it's just a natural part of my reality. Seeing a shadow. Um, it, it was also weird for me, I think, because at 16, so I, I come from a very spiritual Christian upbringing where hearing voices is not such a bad thing. So mm-hmm. because of that, I wasn't afraid of the experience. I knew the mm-hmm. experience was abnormal. <laughs> I knew something was happening here that I couldn't understand, but I wasn't afraid of it. Um, I I do remember feeling fear when it started getting a lot worse. Um, so probably more within like my my mid twenties or so. There was one experience in particular where I was outside of my work, and 
no one was around. The, the streets was completely dead. Um, no cars, no people. And I heard someone say my name so clear and so audible that it made me jump because it was just it was it was just right next to me. And I think that's when it kind of shaked me a little to be like what is happening <laughs> what is happening in my life right now did the did your provider explain to you how hearing voices versus your mood disorder like how do you make sense of that as part of your experiences with your diagnosis or do you, or do you not maybe it's just like oh they're all kind of together Honestly, that is something that I wish that our treatment providers would talk a bit more about. The experiences that I have had um, when I've shared that, oh, I hear voices, oh, I experience shadows, has more been take this medication and it will stop kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's, it's never been about figuring out what they're saying mm. it felt more like a check system where um are, are they trying to harm you or are they try, are they telling you to harm others okay they're not okay so take this medication and all will be fine um so it was it was absolutely weird for me um because I always had it in the back of my mind that I feel like there should be more of a conversation surrounding this like I don't understand where these voices are coming from like why are they trying to speak to me? What exactly they're saying? And I wanted to understand that. Fortunately, the trauma therapist that I work with now, she has, because she used the internal family system model, she's been particularly um, adamant about me listening more to the different parts of myself um, mm -hmm. and figuring out what they're saying and why, allowing me to like merge all the different parts of me that have been fragmented throughout the years um, to, to understanding what those voices are seeing and why they're showing up in particular ways and what they're trying to communicate to me in that time. Um, and I think because of her working with me, I've, I have a better sense of understanding my experience. And I also have a better sense of understanding when these voices show up Mm -hmm. they're showing up for a reason and they're trying to tell me something. So pay attention to what's going on with me. Yeah. I think that's so global, like to mental health conditions that you, ha when you have a provider that you feel listens to you and engages with you, they dive in, they take that time. They're, they're addressing things that you care about, that you want to do. They're not checking boxes. And, and also I, I sense like a safe space. Like you feel comfortable with the providers who who prov who show you care or concern so that you can talk to them about yeah. your diverse experiences, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it was it was really hard for me, especially because of the bad experiences I've had with our mental health systems. It was really hard for me to decide, okay, I'm going to go back and try and engage with someone on a really um, significant, meaningful level. But when I found her, um, I found her through one of my friends who is queer and she's like, okay, she's LGBT affirming. She's awesome. You know, I love having like that lived experience perspective of someone else telling me, oh, this therapist is awesome. And yeah, she, she definitely has become that safe space for me. And one of the first things that we spoke about were my voices and my psychosis. And she's like, she, you know, I remember her always talking about the fact that um, psychosis and dissociation, um, 
and all these things are actually good things like they have they're protectors but people don't often look at them like that you know they look at them and they almost try to suppress it when these things have showed up to protect persons especially persons who've experienced a lot of trauma in their life to protect them in these ways and let's try to understand the reasons why let's go back to bipolar disorder <laughs> so for for bipolar disorder you you notice symptoms at 16 how old were you when you saw that psychiatrist oh i would have been um maybe about 22 23 somewhere around there what so it still took you from 16 to 22 to finally go see that psychiatrist which took you three months again to he saw you for five minutes how old were you when you saw your second provider? I was 28 when I actually got my diagnosis from my second oh. provider. But yeah. <laughs> and and Can I just well, apologize <laughs> for the mental health system? <laughs> yeah. So mad for you. Yeah. And I think that's something that you know, mental health treatment providers really need to remember because the reason why it took me from 16 to 22, 23 to even like see someone was because nobody around me was talking about it, right? So the, the, the fear that I experienced to even like make that first step, or even like figure out where the heck do I go? Like it was a lot of conversations that I needed to have within myself. So I made that first step. And one of the other catal- catalysts for me making that first step was because my father passed away when I was 20. So when he passed away, the flood of emotions and just all the experiences just was overwhelming that I I said, okay, I need to figure this out before this destroys me. Um, So I, you know, I made that step and unfortunately, you know, that happened. Hey, but I'm really glad that it only derailed you that time for about six years. Did you say 22, 28? Yeah. Yeah. About, about six years of my life. <laughs> I uh, I think it says, like, America and I always talk about setting up your expectations and just assume that adults are going to suck and that they're not going to give you what you need um, because there's so much reliance on us as patients or people living with mental health conditions. Like, you talk about barriers, but there's also this sense of, like, the systems are not going to get you what you want yeah. or even your family doesn't respond to you the way yeah. that, you know? And so people talk about stigma, but you're like, dude, you can't even begin to capture all the stuff that I wrestle with that makes me say, why should I bother? I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. And then you realize. Yeah. 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 And I think as well, you know, you spoke about, um, adults disappointing you and weirdly enough I feel like when I got my diagnosis that was a journey by itself right because now you have to figure out medications um, and fortunately almost every medication I took came with a very horrible side effect mm. but because in that experience, I was a bit more prepared. Um, I had I had developed um, networks with a couple of peers um, who gave me advice and told me, okay, you know, 
yep, it might take a while to like find a good correct medication, like stick with it. It's, it's not going to be a now for now fix. Um, I had a good mentor who is also diagnosed with bipolar disorder one who, you know, shared with me a lot about her experience. And she is the CEO of a nonprofit organization and, and she's just being a badass. And she's like, you know, Katrina, if I can do it and if I can be a woman, have a nonprofit and and cope with this thing you can too and I think because I developed that networks around me of peers who understood I was able to navigate those side effects and stuff a little better sometimes I wish that at 16 I had that network to say Mm -hmm. the system is gonna fail you but it's okay stick with it like and I I wish I had that because I think it would have definitely shortened that journey a little bit for me but you know you you live and you learn about it I mean I think that's why we have our podcast right it's like we just hope that somebody out there who's in this position can hear that and basically be forewarned from our own trauma (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Let's talk about like tips specifically for getting clarity about your diagnosis. And if you could talk to your 16 year old self and and beyond just saying like, hey, just when people fail, you don't give up. They're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about, which is so hard because you're like, these are freaking experts, you know, (laughs) really, we're telling you we're experts too on mental illness. And anybody who diagnoses you in five minutes doesn't know they're too bothered by their system. Mm -hmm. And whatever their caseloads, whatever their pressures, like they're not giving you what you need. And so you can't stop there, right? Yeah. But outside of that, just like, if, if you think about making sense of reality, or or getting clarity about the diagnosis, what would you have also said to your to to yourself about how to prepare, how to how to empower yourself? Like what what did you do that made you feel like I understand, you know? Yeah. Um I think the major thing I would say to my 16 year old self is hmm, I think it's tied up in so many things. Which but one mainly is be your own advocate, right? I I had to realize that my experience isn't abnormal. I I, I I don't like to even frame it like that anymore. I'm not abnormal. I my body just works differently. Um and I think if I had understood that framing back then I would have been less hard on myself and less hard mm-hmm. on my experience. And, and and it's the same way that disabled folks are looked at, right? So disabled folks are given accommodations for their disabilities because they, their body functions differently. Unfortunately, our systems don't do that. But it is important for us as persons with mental health conditions to remember that we function differently and it's okay to function differently. Mm-hmm. It's okay to show up in this world differently. And mm-hmm. I I wish I had offered myself a bit more kindness back then to say yeah. that, you know, you're experiencing all this and you're experiencing all these heavy emotions and you're doing all these actions that you can't understand, but there's a reason to all of this and you're just functioning differently. And it's just about learning how Mm -hmm. to now function in this different way. And I say be your own advocate as well, because not everybody is going to understand that, 
right? Not everybody's going to understand that that invisibly disabled perspective. But you can also educate persons. It's it's hard to do that. It's it's it pisses me off sometimes to do it, <laughs> um, especially when they are supposed to know more about your experience than you. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you may have to. You may have to advocate. You may have to. Um, go to your psychiatrist and say I disagree with your diagnosis give me a second diagnosis Ooh. or I disagree <laughs> with this no and I, I yeah. as a result I've reached a point with my with my treatment providers where I tell them yeah. no I, I or they put me on a medication and I go back the next week and I said this is not working can you please take me off and put me on something else yeah and I I, 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 I advocate for myself because at the end of the day this is my life and mm-hmm. and if I feel suicidal tomorrow the main person that affects is me yeah. and nobody else so for that reason like advocate for yourself be 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 strong enough to advocate for yourself yeah I I think that our reaction to that speaks to how powerful those systems feel like and how helpless or powerless we feel when we enter those systems and they're like these doctors and they look all official and like the sentence yeah. you said where you're like I can't believe I have to tell you what is going on when you're the expert? Like, shouldn't you be telling me what's going yeah. on? You know, yeah. and, and I think the system is trying to be better, but I, I think that um, what I love about what you said is that you took the framework in two ways. One was just like a very personal perspective. One of just saying, when you are first struggling with mental health conditions, you're, you have to, accept that this is a part of your life, but also recognize that it's a super strength. It, you don't feel it this way, but maybe like Kat and I are telling you that now that Kat and I are older adults, <laughs> older <laughs> in our adult life, we can look back on our mental health experiences and be like, oh my gosh, I see some, I see that these things also are like weird super strengths and like super yeah. cool. And that builds confidence with your ability to advocate for yourself And then the flip side is like, you are the expert, like you learn about yourself, you learn your, your nuances and you advocate and you tell your provider, you know, what works for you or doesn't work for you. And that is so on point to the way that I think our work and like you and me and in working with MHA believes how mental health care should exist. So yeah, that's. That's like the freaking dream. Can I, I wish (laughs) we talk about a mental health system of care where, where an individual walks into a doctor's office and instead of a doctor being like super powerful and being like, oh, let me ask you these questions and tell you what's wrong with you is like, Mm -hmm. hey, you're the expert in your experiences. I'm here to listen and then just try to help things make sense. And if they feel good and feel right, then I'm going to be with you in this journey. Yeah. And even I can speak to like, you know, I talked, I spoke about earlier about um, figuring out this new reality, right? So figuring out how your body works with bipolar you know we, we've, we've been taught to work in an able body society but my body is not able body my body is a bipolar disorder body and I need to know how this bipolar disorder body works so simple things like and I tell people I thrive at night you know, mm. I thrive working at night my creative energy goes to 100 at night so I work with it I I, I, I 
write and I produce things and I, I do all the things that I need to do at night because I know that's how my body works, you know. Yeah. And for me, it was about adjusting myself, learning, learning and, and really getting in touch with my bipolar disorder experience and fitting my life and reshaping my life around my bipolar disorder experience and it's not easy <laughs> we'll tell you not to do it but I think I think it's better it's just, like I said it's just like a disabled um folk or, or a physically disabled folk you know someone in a wheelchair will not try to walk up a stairs because they can't and it's about time we stop telling persons with mental health conditions to function in a certain way when they absolutely can't it's, it's yeah. not fair so we have to do it or not even see how that is a super skill like your creative juices right. work at life like how do we how do we bank on that that's interesting like, <laughs> right <laughs> I don't know you have my juices running um ooh, how exciting anyways I really just appreciate your your openness and just your spirit like one thing I really enjoyed about our conversation was the sense of hope this is you later. And we convey this for people a lot. You know, this is Kat today. But if you were talking to Kat at 16 and then Kat again at 22 and then Kat again at 28, you know, <laughs> you were in a different spot, right? Oh, yeah. She she did not believe in herself. She did not believe, you know, I think there was even a point in time that I stopped planning for the future because I didn't even know if there was going to be one. Yeah. Um, but I I think, doing those things and advocating for myself and readjusting the way that I work and 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 believing that I I could and I could somehow get past this absolutely hopeless feeling that I have right now yeah. um I'm glad that I stuck with it and I'm glad that you know I, I've been able to see beyond that experience the way I'm at now yeah well thank you so much for your You're time welcome. Well, thank you so much, Kat. Um, we say on our podcast, keep fighting in the open. I think in particular, this is interesting because you said if more people fought in the open when you were young, you wouldn't have felt so much shame or fear. Yeah. And you would have yeah. been able to feel like you could talk to people or know where to go to find people. So um, online is great. This is the thing I love about technology today because I'm like, I have hope for our 16 year olds or 14 year olds today because they're like, just go to yeah. the internet. It will save you. <laughs> well, all we had back then was search engines, but now we have forums and all this stuff too, right? So the young will save us in this <laughs> world. Keep on fighting in the open, you all. We love your faces. Till next time. Bye. Bye.